0: Jeremy Ted Alex disappeared on Saturday, April 24th, 2004. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Jeremy Alex's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to him. 28-year-old Jeremy Alex had a carefree approach to life.
2: He worked to live. He didn't live to work.
0: As a teen, he followed the Grateful Dead around the country.
3: He was definitely charismatic and had a sense of humor, and he had that draw.
0: But just before he disappears, Jeremy is discovered in a terrified state.
3: Very frightened, saying that people were
4: threatening to hurt him. Bad guys were trying to hurt him.
0: When extensive searches fail to find him, his family is at a loss.
5: We were questioning whether
0: he was actually
5: lost in the woods or if somebody had done something to him. They suspect someone
0: is hiding the truth
2: and i truly believe that some of those people did know never came forward
0: is jeremy the victim of misadventure or foul play
3: i've already played that worst case scenario in my head multiple ways
0: To his family and friends, Jeremy Alex is known as a free spirit who loves music, playing chess and the great outdoors near his home in rural Belfast, Maine.
2: Jeremy was a minimalist and up in Belfast, that's really the way of life. It's a town where all the hippies moved to and that's just their mantra up there. Jeremy's lived in places that had outhouses and no bathrooms, so growing up in Belfast, he just really always liked the juxtaposition of the ocean and the forest and the woods and the mountains.
0: In April of 2004, Jeremy's father and stepmother, Ted and Susan Alex, who live in New Hampshire, are making plans to visit Jeremy in Maine and take him out for a belated birthday celebration.
2: It was his 28th birthday. Ted and I didn't always get up to Belfast as much as we would like. So we called him and left him a kind of a funny message and told him that we would be coming up and that we wanted to take him out.
0: Once a rebellious teenager, in recent years, Jeremy has rebuilt strong connections with his family.
2: I saw changes for the positive. He had a share of issues growing up. His parents divorced, you know, he had a stepfather and I was his stepmother, and you know, Jeremy was, was angry during his teenage years, but during his 20s, Jeremy really started to come around.
0: Ted is used to Jeremy going his own way. He knows his son has a bit of gypsy in his soul.
5: Jeremy was uh, a free spirit kid, very intelligent, kind of earthy, did what he wanted to do. He lived in, you know, different places in Maine. Also, he lived uh, in
0: California. He traveled around. Jeremy's stepmother, Susan, came to love Jeremy like a son after she married his dad when Jeremy was six years old.
2: One of the driving pleasures and forces in Jeremy's life is music. He has cases full of CDs that he burned. And one of the bands that he loved was the Grateful Dead. When he was around 17 or 18, he started following the dead. And for about two years, he basically went cross country in a van following the dead. And he made his living selling grilled cheese sandwiches out of the back of the van. So Ted and I would always joke that we knew he wouldn't starve to death because he had grilled cheese.
0: Kathy Langerlier is one of Jeremy's closest and oldest friends.
1: He was extremely welcoming, really kind. You know, right away from when he first met me, I felt really at ease with him, and he had these great smiling eyes. We both loved music, so that was one thing that we instantly clicked with. The Grateful Dead and going to shows, so we had that in common. We had environmental concerns that were similar, and our eyes were big, and we, we wanted to make changes and, in our own little ways.
0: As a child, Jeremy spent his summers with Ted and Susan, but lived most of the year with his mother in Belfast, Maine, a picturesque town of 6,000-plus people on Penobscot Bay. As an adult, it became his home base, the place he always returned to.
5: I think Jeremy did odd jobs, whatever it took to make a living up in Maine, and I think it's very difficult to make a living up in Maine.
2: Jeremy was the kind of kid, you know, and I admired this about him. He worked to live, he didn't live to work. So he didn't make a lot of money, but he made enough money to live, and his needs were very simple.
0: Only five feet seven inches tall, Jeremy is a short guy. Still, his former girlfriend, Suzanne Forkeren, says he could light up a room.
3: He has an exuberant personality, and, you know, instantly people are attracted and just want to hang out with him because he was fun.
0: But in the spring of 2004, some of his friends are growing concerned about him. Something seems to be altering his normally cheerful personality.
1: He definitely was not acting himself. He was paranoid, and I believe he was throwing out accusations, false accusations, Mm -hmm. um, because of this paranoia that, of course, frustrated friends and, and left a lot of confusion. And he was starting to draw away from people, and he was mistrusting people.
0: Early on Monday morning, April 26th, Jeremy's dad, Ted Alex, turns his cell phone on. There's a message from Jeremy's phone, but it isn't from Jeremy. It's from the Belfast police.
5: They said that they had found Jeremy's cell phone, his keys, his van and they were in the process of searching for him. When they found his cell phone, they basically saw Dad, called my number, left me a message.
0: Ted and Susan are mystified. They know their son is about to move into a new house in Northport, a village just outside of Belfast, with his girlfriend, Suzanne. Jeremy's stepmother calls her right away
3: it was probably about 7 a.m. She said the Belfast Police Department called. She said that they have his cell phone and they had found his van and they won't tell her anymore. Suzanne got upset
2: about it and she seemed more upset than I was, which sort of upset me. And she was going to go over to the police station when we hung up, which she did.
0: Suzanne has reason to be upset. She knows something Ted and Susan do not. Suzanne last saw Jeremy Saturday morning, two days earlier.
3: I thought he was going to pop a vein right then, because he was huffing puffing, and he wasn't in his right mind. He was disoriented and saying the bad guys were after him. He was like, the bad guys are after me.
0: Jeremy has been staying at their new house in Northport, getting it ready for the two of them to move into. On her way to the police station, Suzanne stops there. It is evident that Jeremy made it back there after his outburst on Saturday morning.
3: Well, when I got to the house, the door was open with the keys in the lock, and all the furniture he had moved was already in the house.
0: But there is no sign of Jeremy.
3: I hurried into Belfast to talk to the police, see what's going on, and when I got there, they told me nobody had seen him since Saturday afternoon. And it just, it's like white just washes over you, and you're just... It's like weird, it's a weird feeling.
0: Coming up, an encounter with a desperate and disturbed Jeremy.
4: He was, according to the witnesses, hallucinating, in a panic, not acting normal, very frightened.
0: On Sunday, April 25th, 2004, police investigate an unlocked van parked in a small, secluded area of Northport, Maine. They find Jeremy Alex's cell phone, registration, and keys inside. They see a message on the phone from Ted Alex, Jeremy's father, and call him. Ted and his wife Susan immediately leave for Northport, Maine.
5: At first, we just thought, you know, he was lost in the woods. I mean, obviously, he had disappeared, but, you know, maybe he had just got lost in, in the woods up there.
2: It was shocking, but at the same time, you know, you don't really think anything horrific at that point. You just think something's not right, and you drive up hoping that, you know, it's some sort of misunderstanding.
0: Meanwhile, Jeremy's girlfriend, Suzanne Forkaran, thinks back over events of the last few days, events Jeremy's parents know nothing about. Jeremy and Suzanne have been together for more than three years. They met through mutual friends in Belfast and she later followed him to a landscaping job in New York State.
3: I felt a draw to him and somehow knew before that it was going to, we were gonna be together.
1: There was this really strong bond between the two of them and I think a lot of it had to do with that they were such good friends. It was a beautiful evolution to watch their relationship.
0: At first, Suzanne is attracted to the way Jeremy treats people and that he is a straight-up guy.
3: He wasn't smoking cigarettes, he wasn't drinking, he wasn't smoking, and, you know, to me, I was like, wow, that's cool, you know? He was straight edge, almost.
0: But after they return to Maine, that changes. Belfast, like many rural communities, has problems with drugs. She discovers Jeremy is not immune to their attractions.
3: It was really weird because he wouldn't use all the time. Like every six months, he would go on like a weekend binge and I'd be, I'll just keep it out of my face. I don't want to know.
0: Recently, she says, Jeremy's drug use has become more frequent. The last happy day Suzanne and Jeremy spend together is Thursday, April 22nd. They travel to Sugarloaf Mountain in Jeremy's van
3: And we went snowboarding. It was actually a really fun day. We all had fun. It was getting warm because it was in April, but there was still snow and slushy.
0: When they get home late in the afternoon, Jeremy seems eager to separate for the night, saying he is busy moving their things into their new house. But Suzanne is suspicious.
3: I imagined, okay, he's probably going to go on a bench. And so... I'm kind of stubborn. Like, once I get my feelings hurt, I kind of, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to call him. He's going to do what he's going to do. He can call me when he's done.
0: It is Saturday morning before she sees Jeremy again. When he arrives at her house, he is angry and accusatory.
3: He said, you and two other mutual friends of ours were outside my house last night with ski masks. And I'm all, what? That's when I realized it was cocaine, because he wasn't in his right mind. I could tell when he started talking like that. I just started crying, and I went into my room. So, you know, it was overwhelming. I'm sad, and I'm in there crying.
0: Just as abruptly, Suzanne says, Jeremy's manner changes, and he tries to comfort her and apologizes.
3: And he came into my room, and he's like, I'm really sorry. If you need to talk, you know where I'll be.
0: But when she joins him downstairs, as he loads up some furniture to take to their new house, he is distant and ignores her pleas to tell her what's wrong.
3: And I'm like, you know what? He needs to go home, sleep it off for a couple days, and I'll talk to him, you know, in a couple days, because this is not going anywhere.
0: It is 5.20 p.m., Saturday evening, hours after Suzanne last sees Jeremy, when a woman in a house off Pound Hill Road in Northport is startled by a young man erupting from the woods into her yard. She calls her husband over. The woman recognizes Jeremy Alex from his student days at Belfast High School, where she used to work.
5: She actually recognized Jeremy.
0: He looks agitated and is clutching cash in his hand.
5: The husband went over, saw that Jeremy was in a distressed condition. He was, uh,
4: according to the witnesses, hallucinating in a panic, not acting normal, very frightened.
0: Holly Edwards, editor of The Village Soup, was a reporter covering Jeremy's disappearance in 2004.
4: The circumstances as to how um, the eyewitnesses encountered Jeremy was the most unusual thing. He was saying that people were starting to hurt him, bad guys were trying to hurt him.
5: He said that somebody was uh, after him, someone was going to kill him, At that point, Jeremy offered the money that he had in his hand to the man if that person would let him go.
0: The couple doesn't know what to make of Jeremy's story. They try to calm him down, but when the woman goes to call 911, he panics.
4: He refused to stay with them even though they were going to try to get him help and then sort of took off in a panic running again.
0: The couple reports the incident and identifies the young man to police as Jeremy Alex. As the weekend unfolds, nobody else sees or hears from Jeremy.
3: For two days, I just thought he was home sleeping it off, being stubborn and not calling him, and in all of reality, he wasn't even at home. He was wherever he was.
0: On Sunday, the police go through Jeremy's van, parked near the house where he was last seen, and call Jeremy's father, Ted Alex. By the time Ted and Susan Alex arrive, it is Monday afternoon...
5: Everything was just um, as if you know he got out of the van and planned on coming back.
0: Jeremy's girlfriend Suzanne and some of his other friends are already there and have been searching the neighboring woods on their own.
3: The woods in Maine are kind of treacherous. It's not like you're just walking to a park you you know you're kind of stumbling and trying to get through the woods and not get scratched up and so you know we just yelled and looked and. Just hoping that we would see him or something. It was such a bizarre scenario.
1: It was confusing. You know, there were certain key things that Jeremy wouldn't normally leave behind and he had. And I'm not sure why he was there.
3: It's stressful. It's a stressful feeling. Worry. People are starting to worry.
0: Ted Alex is concerned, but he is also still optimistic that Jeremy will be found soon Yet he knows that his son will not be able to survive many more of Maine's cold April nights without shelter. He is comforted knowing that a full-scale search led by the Maine Warden Service, and including canine units and volunteers, is scheduled to take place the next day.
5: All the dogs and some of the searchers have uh, tracking devices on them. They'll search a grid area. After the search, everything will be downloaded in a computer. They'll look at areas that might not have been searched, research them, and then go to the next grid area.
0: However, the extensive search fails to turn up any signs of Jeremy. Police accounts of his strange encounter with the couple in Northport have already reached his family and his girlfriend, Suzanne. Suzanne remembers Jeremy telling her that he thought people were after him. At the time, she thought his paranoia was due to drugs. But now she begins to wonder.
3: Maybe there was somebody after him, like, you know, because he mentioned it to me, he mentioned it to his friends, and he also mentioned it to the lady and the man that tried to help him at the end. Is that in his mind or from the drug use, or is it actually, was it really happening?
4: Maybe what he was saying was in fact true, and it wasn't a hallucination. It was really what, what caught our interest and caught the community's interest.
0: News accounts of the search bring tips, A motorist tells police that a man resembling Jeremy crossed Route 1 on foot ahead of her on the Saturday evening he disappeared. When she passed him, she spied him in the rearview mirror, crossing back over the road again.
4: Where he was headed to is anyone's guess. Um, You know, whether he was trying to get back home, whether he was oriented enough to try to get back home, um, it's hard to tell what he was thinking.
0: On Wednesday, April 28th, Jeremy's stepmother... Now overcome with worry, vents her frustration on some of Jeremy's friends and acquaintances in the search party.
2: I literally said, if you know something, this is becoming life and death for Jeremy. If he's out there, it's cold, we don't have a lot of time. If he's not and something bad happened to him, you have to let us know. No one said anything.
0: Coming up, secrets are revealed.
3: I did try and hide the fact that there was drug use.
0: And suspicions grow. We were questioning
5: whether he was actually lost in the woods or if somebody had done something to him.
6: Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
3: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A
0: lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Jeremy Alex's strange disappearance makes headlines in Maine as soon as the official search begins.
4: In the beginning, um, they were absolutely just looking for someone who was in some sort of distress and then might have become hurt, lost in the woods. That part of Northport, um, there's not a lot of houses. They're, They're few and far between. And so it would be very easy to get lost in the woods there. So I think it was just truly treated as a missing person, an unusual missing person in how it and how it all came about, but
3: really just as a missing person.
0: Ted Alex pursues every avenue he can to find his son.
3: He stepped in and he's a kind of in charge type person, kind of like Jeremy.
5: I rented a helicopter for 12.30 and we're gonna go up and, and look for some more.
3: And he was doing everything that he could do because the time is critical and it had already been two days before we even heard that it, he had disappeared.
0: Ted and Jeremy's stepmom stay in close touch with Suzanne, since she knows the community and was one of the last people to see Jeremy.
5: Susie was our connection with um, these friends of Jeremy's. Uh, we, We were just fish out of water up there.
2: Suzanne obviously had an insight to days before the event, which we didn't have. She had spent time with Jeremy. She knew his mindset, what he had been doing, where he had been.
0: Originally, Suzanne had tried to cover up Jeremy's drug use.
3: I did try and hide the fact that there was drug use because I was like, if he's found out, I'm to get in trouble, you know.
0: When she first learned from police that Jeremy was missing, she went to the house they were moving into in Northport and cleaned up, flushing drugs down the toilet. That information comes as a shock to Jeremy's family.
5: We knew that he smoked pot, but never, you know, uh, heroin and cocaine. And, and, And that's what Susie had found and flushed down the toilet was, you know, heroin and cocaine.
2: Those drugs obviously took their toll on him. Paranoid is a word that we heard a lot about his behavior the last two or three days. There probably were people that he was dealing with that were, you know, unscrupulous, not the kind of people that you want your kid hanging around with. A
0: friend of Jeremy's tells the Alex's that she spent Friday night, the night before Jeremy disappeared, doing drugs with him at the house in Northport.
2: They had stayed up most of Friday night. They were doing cocaine and they were doing heroin. She left Saturday morning. When she left, she, you know, was concerned that Jeremy should stop.
3: I finally did tell the police, okay, I went to his house and I tried to get rid of the evidence of drug use. And it got really overwhelming, and one of the state police or de- state detectives, he had me outside, and he was just questioning me, like, you need to tell me where he got his drugs. They like, could have a bullet in his head. And,
5: it was a double-edged sword for the police department because, you know, there were drugs involved, and they needed to deal with that.
0: Once the police began looking into the drug connection, Jeremy's family says many of his friends seemed to shy away from speaking to them.
5: I think they all cared about Jeremy Gone missing, but I think they had hesitation when it came to uh, giving information to the police.
0: Meanwhile, the efforts to find Jeremy continue. A second official search begins on May second, eight days after Jeremy was last seen. Friends cling to the hope that the wood savvy Jeremy knows how to survive in the wild.
1: Jeremy was an extremely resourceful individual and clever,
3: very clever. I think he could have survived, absolutely. Yes, I do. He knew a lot about making fires. He could live out in the outdoors for a while.
0: But the search turns up no signs of him. Hopes for finding Jeremy alive in the woods begin to fade.
5: As the days went on and there were cold nights, we knew that it was inevitable that he wouldn't be alive, I mean, if he was still
0: in the woods. Perhaps Jeremy isn't in the woods. Could Jeremy? who is known to pick up and go on a whim, actually be somewhere far from Belfast, Maine?
5: You know, there was always in our mind a question whether he was actually, you know, a little bit like, okay, maybe he just took off.
0: Then, investigators get a lead from another motorist who saw Jeremy as she was driving on Pound Hill Road the afternoon he disappeared. She told police he was talking to two men in a red pickup truck.
2: That was a, a truck of interest The police talked about it, and we were hopeful that it meant something. The area where Jeremy's van was
4: found in Northport, we subsequently learned was a place that was commonly used for drug
3: activity. It's isolated, but it's easy to get to. So they don't know if he went to this place to meet somebody. The two guys, in my
2: mind, sort of bolstered Jeremy's story that people might have been after him.
0: Months go by with no other leads. Then, in September of 2004, five months after Jeremy disappears, there is one final search over the terrain around Northport. The searchers find nothing. With the coming winter, the official searches will end. By now, Ted and Susan suspect that Jeremy is lost not to the woods, but to foul
2: play.
5: As the time progressed, we were questioning whether he was actually lost in the woods or if somebody had Done something to him
2: maybe he owed money to somebody maybe they owed money to him I I don't know but if you put two and two together that's sort of what you come up with
0: the case is about to go cold when a stranger comes forward with tantalizing new information about Jeremy
5: he said that he had Jeremy's license and he had his money you know you kind of think about how could this possibly be spend four years
0: In the days after 28-year-old Jeremy Alex disappeared under mysterious circumstances in 2004, hopes were high that he would be found in the woods into which he was last seen fleeing. But months and three extensive searches later, those hopes die.
4: To have someone disappear, it's definitely unusual in any community, but I think that the circumstances surrounding um, how Jeremy appeared and then disappeared Is what is is really stymied in the entire community.
0: From their home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Jeremy's father Ted and stepmother Susan continue to monitor their son's case, poring over maps of the area where he went missing. The couple do what they can to keep Jeremy's disappearance in the public eye, putting up posters promising a reward, which rises to twenty thousand dollars. The family
4: was really good about keeping the media spotlight on as much as they possibly could. They had a website, and they made regular contact with with us.
5: There wasn't a lot to do, but put put posters out and, and talk to people. We would just go through and put these posters, you know, wherever uh, we could.
0: The posters generate tips. Some of them very disturbing. There were
5: a lot of rumors going around of foul play. Jeremy was killed, thrown in a granite quarry. I'd go up and search the quarries. Somebody heard that Jeremy was killed and buried or thrown in a well. We just followed the tips that I would get on the phone, unrelated to what the police were, you know, dealing with. But
0: Jeremy remains missing. Months after he disappears, his girlfriend Suzanne has a vivid dream that the two of them are together once more.
3: We were hugging and it it just felt so real. And so like the energy and he actually is like, well, I have to say goodbye now. And then when I woke up, it felt like I'd really just been talking to him and hugging him and it was pretty intense.
0: Jeremy's family and friends struggle with a sense of hopelessness. And then almost six months after Jeremy's disappearance, there is a tantalizing new development. Tips come in that a young man resembling Jeremy has appeared out of the woods in another part of Maine.
4: There were some unusual sightings in Owl's which is about a half an hour south of Northport, um, straight down Route 1. Two people had reported seeing this person come out of the woods, not saying anything, looking very disheveled. And they swore that this was Jeremy, that it looked exactly like Jeremy.
0: Wayne Drinkwater owns a soup and sandwich shop in Belfast. He says he sees the young man on property he owns near Owls Head.
1: I had seen the posters of Jeremy, but it looked just like Jeremy. And uh, I asked him his name and he didn't seem to be there. He didn't seem to respond. And I came back to Belfast and I called the sheriff. And I said, I think I found Jeremy.
0: But when police pursue the lead, it turns out to be another dead end.
4: There just happens to be someone who looks very much like Jeremy, who has some mental health issues.
0: In a cruelly ironic twist, the lookalike's name is also Jeremy. He has been lost in the woods briefly after wandering away from his family. After the disappointment of the false Jeremy Alex sightings, Ted asks the Maine State Police to get involved. In 2006, more than two years after Jeremy's disappearance they launch a special search of a local pond.
4: On August twenty fifth, 2006, we found out that the state police were going to do a search
3: at a pond called Knight's Pond in Northport. Someone had got arrested and told the police that her boyfriend or whatever said that he had killed Jeremy and threw him in Knight's Pond
4: according to um, our information, they had gotten a tip that they should look in Knight's Pond, and they did. Um, They sent a diver um, and uh, searched the pond and, and didn't find anything.
0: Two more years pass by, with no apparent headway in the case. Then, in August of 2008, an intriguing new lead comes to Jeremy's dad. At first, he is suspicious.
5: Offering the reward, unfortunately, brought out some people that just were calling for the reward. Uh, So I, you know, was really wary of this one email I received, you know, one day from a gentleman that said that he had Jeremy's license and he had his money. You know, you kind of think about how could this possibly be? It's been four years.
0: The email comes from Jim Baker, a retired California highway patrol officer who owns a restaurant in Searsport, Maine, just outside of Belfast. He hasn't followed the Jeremy Alex saga closely.
6: The one time that I think I can clearly remember reading or seeing something about it was a poster that was in the gas station with his picture on it. And it basically had his name and that he was missing. But I really didn't know much more about it other than that.
0: The story of how he comes to be in possession of Jeremy's driver's license and money is stranger than fiction. It begins on a night in April 2004 shortly after Jeremy goes missing.
6: My best friend that lived uh, across the bay from us, um, Tim Dougal, he came in one night, started talking to me about how he had hit the big time or hit the jackpot because money was washing up on his beach. He and his wife had been out beachcombing like they did a lot of times and had started to find small denomination bills amongst the rocks. And um, he had pulled out a, a small wad of bills. I remember joking with him, telling him, well, you're buying drinks for everybody tonight. And he said, no, 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 no. We collect stuff on the beach and we keep it. And so he put it back in his pocket. and That was the end of that for quite some time.
0: On April 23, 2008, almost four years to the day after Jeremy Alex disappeared, Jim's friend, Tim, is killed in a freak accident at his oceanfront property. When his widow, Debbie, returns to the weekend getaway, months later, she asks Jim to come over.
6: She started to relate the story about finding the money on the beach. And I remember asking her, "Guys, saved that money? And she says, oh yeah, it's all in there, you know, buried under some sea glass, and along with the driver's license that we had found at the same time. It kind of caused me to pause, and I don't know if it's my background or what it was, but I instantly had this strange feeling. And I said, you know, did you guys ever contact anybody or anything? He said, No, we really didn't, you know, think about it.
0: Inside a glass vase, buried in a collection of sea glass and other objects, Jim Baker finds the money and the driver's
6: license. I looked at it and saw Jeremy's face and his name, and I instantly remembered that poster. And I said to her, I said, Debbie, I said, I think this is a kid that went missing a couple years ago or so.
0: An important new clue shifts the search for Jeremy from the woods to the water.
6: A body would just be carried out straight down that channel right out into the ocean.
3: You would rather know than not, even if it's the worst case scenario.
0: It has been four years since Jeremy Alex went missing. Now, former Highway Patrol Officer Jim Baker holds an important piece of the puzzle, his driver's license. Jim visits internet sites about Jeremy Alex and confirms that the license must have belonged to Jeremy and that he is still missing. He notifies the authorities.
6: Well, I basically told him, look, this is who I am, where I live, and this is what I found. I think somebody needs to call me. In the meantime, nobody called me back for a while, and so I sent Ted an email with the same information.
0: Days later, the license and money that were first found on the beach in April of 2004 are in the hands of the state police.
6: The best that we could determine was probably within a couple of days of his disappearance. That's when they started to find the stuff on the beach. Jeremy was last seen with some money in his hand and then took off in the direction of the coast and in the general direction of Tim and Deb's house.
0: For Ted, it is one more terribly ironic twist.
5: We were in that neighborhood searching. We put posters up on the street where they lived. They just never put two and two together that this could possibly be a lost person. And that's the sad part about it, because for years, you know, there's not a lot of evidence, uh, even if there was other things washed up on shore.
0: Ted goes back to the area and searches the rocky beach where Jeremy's license and money were found. For months, he returns, looking for another sign or clue that might lead him to Jeremy.
6: You know, if he was running towards the beach and towards the cliffs, disoriented, not sure where he was, frightened, whatever, you know, is it possible that he went off the cliff into the water?
0: But four years later... There is no further trace of Jeremy to be found here. These days, life in Belfast, Maine goes on pretty much the same as it always has. Historic houses grace the heights above the waterfront. Lobster fishermen ply the waters of Penobscot Bay alongside pleasure boats. Shops and restaurants cater to tourists who are just passing through. There is still just one stoplight in the center of town, The only late-night bar attracts the same loyal locals it has for decades. And Jeremy Alex is still missing.
4: We've had a missing poster since we got the first one in 2004, um, days afterwards. And when it starts to wear out from the sun, we print another one out. Um, The family's been pretty good about, you know, sending us updates.
2: Ted calls, you know, the the police that are working on it and, you know, may occasionally talk to them. But there hasn't been probably any movement, at least that we know of, in maybe a year and a half, two years, and that's a long time. The
0: Maine State Police say they don't publicly discuss open cases. The police have
4: not shared with us directly any theories. I think that they believe, as the family does, that something bad has happened to Jeremy it's still very much an open case to them.
0: Ted and Susan are divorced now. They say they're still close and united in their efforts to do anything they can to find Jeremy. Their biggest hope is that people who have been reluctant to offer information in the past might be willing to speak today, at least anonymously, to put their minds at rest.
2: I truly believe that some of those people did know, never, never came forward. And we've tried. We've gone back up there. We've tried going to their houses. We've tried pleading with them just to let us know we would,
1: it would be anonymous, but nothing.
0: Jeremy's friend Kathy shares that hope.
1: I want to feel that somebody knows something. It hurts. I miss him. I loved him very much, and I'm, I'm going to always miss him.
0: Noting the extensive searches for Jeremy, which turned up nothing... Susan and Ted both say they now believe Jeremy is a victim of foul play. They think he was involved with some shady people over drugs and became their victim.
2: I don't think Jeremy's in the woods. I think he's in the ocean, finding his license, wash up, and money. I think he was running and whoever was chasing him caught him and they took him out and did something to him and and dropped the body.
0: Jim Baker believes that Jeremy may have fallen from the cliffs onto the rocks and been swept out to sea.
6: I've talked to people that have spent a lot of years up here on the water, and they don't find it unusual that a body would not come back up, that it would just be carried out straight down that channel right out into the ocean.
4: It is truly a mystery. So many possibilities of what happened to him. It'd be nice to know which one it was.
3: You would rather know than not, and it's true, even if it's the worst-case scenario, because I've already played that worst-case scenario in my head multiple ways.
0: The house where Suzanne and Jeremy lived before he disappeared is abandoned now and neglected. It is the last place Suzanne ever saw Jeremy, and 16 months after he disappeared, she returned to her native California.
3: It's almost like a, a wound that won't scar. I'm pretty strong, so some of it I take as, okay, that's part of my life, and he was in it, and I'm happy that I got to spend the time I did with him. Once that happened, I realized, like, oh, I need to go spend quality time with my family because people aren't here forever.
0: She still has the dog, Gonzo. Jeremy helped her pick out.
3: He's a connection to Jeremy. And actually, sometimes he reminds me of Jeremy because he's feisty and he's short and he's got an attitude.
0: Back in Portsmouth, Jeremy's father established a charitable fund to help kids at risk called the Jeremy Alex Fund.
5: What I've tried to do is um, try to help other people or other kids not end up like Jeremy. And I think that's just a, a way of healing for me.
0: Because chess was Jeremy's favorite game, The fund gives out chess boards to all the fourth graders in town, along with instructions on how to play.
5: We go in, we we talk a little bit about Jeremy, I keep it light, I talk about, you know, chess is a lot like life, you know, you make decisions and you need to be responsible for your actions, and so they make the right decisions and they realize the consequences of what they do to themselves doesn't just affect them, it affects their family forever.
0: Friends and family say they know that after all this time, it is unlikely that Jeremy's story will have a happy ending. And none of them believe it is possible that Jeremy could have gone off somewhere for years without ever contacting the people closest to him. You know, a
5: Father's Day would go by or my birthday or or Susan's or, and, and we knew that he would always call. He was considerate like that. Even though he was a free spirit, he knew my cell phone number and he knew to call.
1: Jeremy had too big of a heart to put people through this, or to put Ted and his family and Suzanne and and then the rest of his friends, to have that emotional burden. I don't believe that Jeremy ever would have would do something like that. There would have been contact.
4: There's so much speculation around Jeremy's case um, because there are so many possibilities. He could still have just fallen into a well and could be out in the woods. Um, But it could also be something, a, a part of a bigger piece of a puzzle. A group of people involved in something, we just don't know.